Breaking news. I wasn't planning on talking about it today, but about 50 minutes ago, the Carolina Panthers parted ways with head coach Ron Rivera. What does that mean? I'm obligated to talk about it because I have no idea what it means. Maybe it's out there, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. It's a sports pen here on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad that you're along this Tuesday afternoon. we got a lot to get to today. We've got football to talk about and lots of it. The latest college football playoff rankings come out tonight. The last ones before a crucial championship weekend. Plus, we got a little baseball to throw in. All that and more coming up over the course of the next hour. But let's start with the breaking news of the day. The Carolina Panthers have parted ways with longtime head coach Ron Rivera, a guy who brought them to a Super Bowl four years ago. They fell to Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos. He is the winningest coach in franchise history, but he hasn't been winning the last couple of weeks. The Panthers have lost four straight including games to the Atlanta Falcons and Sunday to the Washington Redskins. Owner David Tepper, Carolina, I just want to point this out, has had a history of owners who, I don't want to say they're bad owners, but they are very much control guys, and they will look for the first scapegoat they can when things start to go south. That happened with Jerry Richardson. It continues with David Tepper. That being said, Carolina becomes the second team in the NFL to fire a coach midseason this year. So who are they trying to get a jump on? I mean, if they're doing it now, they're, they know they're not going to the playoffs. They know they've got a backup quarterback that probably isn't the future of the franchise. They know they have really one good player offensively, one and a half when Greg Olson is out there. DJ Moore, I guess, he can have his days. They know they're not going to win. They know there's no hope of turning this season around. And they know Ron Rivera's done a lot for the franchise, so why not let him right out this year. Either David Tepper is trying to send a message to the fan base, to the team, or the Panthers are trying to get the jump on somebody. And who could that be? Who do the Panthers have in mind to be their next head coach? This is my theory. It has no validation, no correspondence, nothing to corroborate it. But what if... The Panthers are making this move not so coincidentally one day after Chris Peterson steps down as the head coach of the Washington Huskies. What if Chris Peterson is not simply looking at retirement, but he's looking at making the move to the NFL? He's gone to a bowl six straight years as the head coach at Washington, including three New Year's Six Bowls and a college football playoff appearance back in 2016. They are perennially in the chase for the Pac-12, This year was a down year, but he consistently does more with less. I sung his praises yesterday. And what if he has that same mentality as John Beeline, a guy who's done so much at the college level? But you know what? He's getting up there in his career. He's getting up there in age. Why not take a shot at the pros and accomplish the dream? What do you have to lose? What if that's been Chris Peterson's mindset all along? And what if the Panthers caught wind of that? What if Chris Peterson is option one for the Carolina Panthers to target this offseason as their next head coach? I could speculate about this all day, but honestly, we don't know a lot more than that right now. We know that Perry Fuel is going to take over as interim head coach. North Turner remains as the offensive coordinator there. We're going to get more into this tomorrow because i got a lot I still want to get to today. 
Let's break down Monday Night Football last night. The Seahawks hang on for the win over the Vikings 37-30 to in a game that was a classic for three quarters last night. That third quarter was a little lopsided. It started out being an all-time classic or it looked like it had the makings of being one. And then it got that way again-ish toward the fourth quarter. It kind of got back to that. The Vikings gave themselves a shot down the stretch as Seattle wins 37-30. to So the Seahawks now take over the lead in the NFC West. And as good as Russell Wilson played, as good as Kirk Cousins played for that matter, the biggest storyline might be, or at least the one that everyone wants to talk about, is how the 49ers, after starting the year 8-0, are now a wild card team. And if the season ended today, they would have to go on the road and play a 500 Dallas team in the first round of the playoffs. Before we break down last night's matchup, let's update our pick'em standings. I'm at 44 and 21. I've got a one-game lead after 13 weeks. 44 and 21. Jake Duran is 43 and 22. We both had really good weeks this week. We've separated from the pack just a little bit. Jake actually went five and zero this week. He had an unbeaten week. He picked Chicago, Buffalo, New Orleans, Houston, and Seattle. I had all those except Dallas. I picked Dallas to beat Buffalo. On Thursday, Ryan Stieg, meanwhile, is five games out of first place at 39 and 26. Tyree Smith is 38 and 27. John Michael Hoefling is 35 and 30. So those are our pick'em standings as we get into the final four weeks of the regular season. How about the real standings, the real NFL standings, the playoff picture? If the season ended today, what matchups would we be looking at? Well, I already mentioned that San Fran despite being 10-2, and two, would have to go on the road and play Dallas, who's a 6-6 six and six team, in the first round of the playoffs if the season ended today. That's just the way the NFL format is set up. The other wildcard matchup would have Minnesota at Green Bay, with New Orleans, the only team that's clinched a playoff berth so far, getting the one seed in a first-round bye. Seattle would get the other bye as the two seed. In the AFC, you have Baltimore as the top seed at 10-2. and two. New England would also get a first-round bye. Then you would have Pittsburgh at Houston, the number three seed. They own the tiebreaker over number four, Kansas City, who would host Buffalo. Again, a wild-card team with a better record than a division leader, as Buffalo is 9-3, and three, Houston is 8-4. and four. So what we learn from last night's matchup? Well, there's a lot of things that Russell Wilson has accomplished throughout his career. And among those things, among those things that are true about Russ are he's good on Monday Night Football and he's good against the Minnesota Vikings. Both of those were true last night. On the other side of things, you have a quarterback who falls to 0-8 as a starter on Monday Night Football throughout his career in Kirk Cousins. No other quarterback is worse than 0-6. Let's just be straight up. The Vikings did not lose because of Kirk Cousins last night. The Vikings did not see their quarterback drop to 0-8 on Monday Night Football because of poor quarterback play. You can blame Kirk Cousins for some early season struggles, especially the game at Lambeau in Week 2. You can't blame him for last night. I tell you what, you got to give him a lot of credit for the job that he's done, rebounding after that rough start, going into Seattle without Adam Thielen, and still giving his team a chance to win, to tie Green Bay for the division lead. There were a few drives last night, especially in the second half, where you were really missing Adam Thielen. You could tell. You could tell. But I do know that those are both playoff teams. And I do believe the six teams in playoff position in the NFC are all going to make it there. 
I even think the positioning is right, except I still have Minnesota beating Green Bay for the NFC North. Until Green Bay beats Mike Zimmer in Minneapolis, I'm still going with the Vikings to win that division. In the AFC, I wouldn't be surprised if those standings hold true at the end of the year. If those are the standings after Week 17, I think they've got the six teams in. It's just hard for me to see Tennessee beating out Pittsburgh for that last wild card spot. Or it's hard for me to see anybody else catching a division leader. If they did, it would have to be Kansas City or Houston. Oakland's not going to catch Kansas City. I don't believe Tennessee or Indianapolis will catch Houston. So I do think we have all 12 playoff teams in playoff position as it stands right now. You know, watching that game last night, you have two teams that have been pretty successful over the last few years. Minnesota's been, you know, they've had a couple of down seasons. For the most part, they've been pretty good over the last few years. Seattle has had eight straight winning seasons, and that's largely due in part to their defense. Both teams' defenses have been really good over the last few years. Mike Zimmer, known as being one of the best defensive coaches in football. Seattle, of course, had the Legion of Boom a few years ago. And I'm looking at those defenses, and I see 67 combined points put up last night. And I'm thinking, neither of these defenses are what they once were. And the Vikings are still a good defense, but they're not elite. And Seattle's got a good defense, especially in that front seven, but the Legion of Boom's not there anymore. They don't have Cam Chancellor. They don't have Richard Sherman anymore. And the Vikings secondary has just got to be their weakest part. It's just not what they used to be. Xavier Rhodes, who's one of my favorite players of all time. I've got a personal history with Xavier Rhodes. Shown me extreme kindness when he hasn't needed to. I've met him. And I just I think the world of him as a person. As a football player, it's hard to say that he still has it. He just didn't look good last night, and he hasn't looked good this season. Tempers were flaring with his head coach on the sideline. I get it was frustrating. The Vikings linebackers are among the best in the league. But even up front, they're just not as dominant as they used to be. Both teams still have good defenses, both Seattle and Minnesota. But it's been the offenses for each team that have been elevated, despite each head coach's effort to make his defense elite, to turn his defense into a top 5D like they both used to have within the last five years. Now it's been the offense that has been elevated. Russell Wilson is an MVP candidate, one of the top two in the MVP race right now for a reason. Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, he had a great game last night, by the way. Those two are such an underrated yet effective and formidable rushing attack. Their wide receiver group, Tyler Lockett, is one of the more underrated wideouts in football. DK Metcalf had a few nice catches last night. Josh Gordon's the number three receiver on that team. He's still looking to get involved a little bit more. That wide receiver group, they're pretty good. Luke Wilson's okay. Hollister's okay. Disley, when he's healthy, is okay. They don't really have a standout at the tight end position, but they got three guys who can do the job. On the Viking side of things, they might have the best wide receiver duo in football. It's hard to think of another wide receiver tandem that's better than Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. You can easily say that Mike Evans and Chris Godwin in Tampa Bay, they might be. There are probably a few others that you can throw up there, but certainly Thielen and Diggs have got to be top three 
top three at worst. They've got two really good tight ends between Kyle Rudolph, the acrobatic touchdown last night, Irv Smith Jr., who I really like. You've got Dalvin Cook, who I really like how they use him. He's one of the best runners in football, but they pass to him out of the backfield. He's like that Le'Veon Bell-style pass-catching running back. Alexander Madison, I really like him. The rookie out of Boise State, there's a lot to like about him. And Kirk Cousins has certainly gotten better. The quarterback play has been elevated. You have two coaches in Pete Carroll and Mike Zimmer, two guys that I really like as head coaches. I'd love for them to be my team's head coach, that are both defensive-minded guys. They pride themselves on being defensive-minded coaches who are seeing their defenses decay in a league that's becoming more offensive. The league is becoming more offensive, and so are their teams, whether they want them to or not. Zimmer and Carroll are seeing their teams become offensive, a team whose offense might have more to do with them winning a game than their defense. Now, I'm not saying that the game is passing Carroll and Zimmer by. I'm not saying that by any stretch. But what I am saying is these two teams are among the best in the NFC. The NFC is so top-heavy, and certainly these two are right there. How much longer? For how much longer is that window going to be open? How much longer can these two defensive head coaches get away with a decaying defense? At what point do you have to rebuild? I think I worry more for Minnesota in that sense than I do for Seattle. As far as is Minnesota's window starting to come to a close? Because did you hear Chris Carson in his postgame comments last night? Told the media that they had so much success running the football because Minnesota would just drop everybody back. They said, we are not going to get burned by a Russell Wilson deep bomb. We're not going to let the MVP candidate burn us with the deep ball, with the deep play. So we're going to play a nickel. Seattle said, okay, we'll take what you give us. We'll take three to four yards at a time on the ground. That's what worries me about Minnesota just a little bit more. Because I do believe Mike Zimmer is an excellent defensive schemer. But I think we can all agree last night was not one of the better defensive games that he's called. Hey, we're coming up on a break, so I want to get to this. I want to get to a little baseball. Brewer fans, Mike Mostock is gone, was traded yesterday afternoon to Cincinnati. Who could be the NL Central champion this year? The NL Central is looking like one of the most wide-open divisions in baseball. You've got the Brewers that went on that improbable run without Christian Yelich in September and make it to the postseason. You've got the Cubs who are going to have new management, new leadership coming into this season with David Ross. You've got Pittsburgh with a new manager. They took Twins bench coach Derek Shelton. You've got the Cardinals who made it to the NLCS last season before getting swept out by the eventual champions. And then you've got the Cincinnati Reds a team that has long been in the cellar or around the cellar in that division. They had a few spurts these last couple of years where they played some really good baseball. People wondered, can they really do one of those improbable, almost impossible runs to get into the postseason? Could the Reds, the big red machine reincarnated, actually do that? This year they might. The Reds have been busy. Yesterday... The Reds bolster their team by getting Mustakas, who, by the way, is going to play second base for Cincinnati. 
Signs to a four-year, $16 million deal. They also have a really solid pitching rotation, which includes Trevor Bauer, Sonny Gray, Anthony DeSclafani, and Luis Castillo. You'll look at some of the returners this year. They've got Joey Votto, of course. Eugenio Suarez, who had a breakout year as far as power goes. Aristides Aquino, who had that breakout year last year in right field. Freddie Galvis, they bring him over from Toronto. And, of course, one of their top prospects in Nick Senzel. And you wonder, could the Reds be poised for an NL Central run this year? Day one of tender season yesterday did not disappoint. The Reds have plenty of money to spend. Right now, they have stocked up on capital. And they can absolutely spend a lot more this offseason. And you look at some of the names that were not tendered yesterday. Blake Trinan, an all-star pitcher. Taiwan Walker, pretty good starter. Kevin Gosman, an okay starter. Kevin Pillar, amazing defensive outfielder. Michael Franco, well, we kind of saw that coming in Philadelphia, but he still can play, still can play a good third base spot. C.J. Crone hit 25 home runs last year. Tim Beckham, yeah, he, he can be serviceable in the infield. Addison Russell, I mean, he's got talent, but we all know what else comes with him. The Reds aren't done making moves. The Reds' opening day roster could be really fun to watch. It's going to be expensive, I'll tell you that. I know they're going to be spending money this offseason. The Reds aren't necessarily in win-now mode, but they've got the money, and the prospects are out there. The non-tenders are out there. Don't be surprised to see the Reds make a splash this year. It's weird to say Cincinnati Reds and playoffs in the same breath. But there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about that. I'm not high on them yet. I'm not saying that they're going to be a playoff team. I still think they're a move or two away. But watch for them because they've got the money and they're showing the interest that they want to win now, that they want to win this year. Look for them to make one or two big splashes, a couple more this offseason. Let's take a timeout when we come back. Tonight we will see the next unveiling of the college football playoff rankings. I'm going to give you my thoughts on what they should look like next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Tuesday afternoon. Let's talk college football as we get set for championship week. By the way, you can hear a couple games here on ESPN-UP on Saturday. ACC championship, Big 12 championship. Pre-game coverage starts at 11 a.m. here on ESPN-UP and online with our app. Tonight, we get to see the latest college football playoff rankings. What will the committee decide? We had a wild weekend in college football this weekend, and there's going to be some movement. There's going to be a big shakeup in the top 10. I'm going to tell you what I think the committee should do, what the playoff rankings should look like when they're unveiled tonight. I doubt this will happen. I doubt it will, but I'm going to tell you what they should look like and why. Number one. The top-ranked team in the country will continue to be the Ohio State Buckeyes. They did nothing to make us think otherwise this weekend. The eye test certainly would tip in their favor. I think the resume would tip in their favor. They dusted Michigan this weekend in Ann Arbor, and they look every bit 
like the best team in the country based on the eye test. Maybe even on paper now, you can make a strong argument between them and LSU. They each have three wins against ranked teams as far as AP poll goes. Justin Fields, Chase Young, J.K. Dobbins doesn't get enough credit. That's a guy that's like the Michael Thomas equivalent of college football in the sense that he should be in the Heisman conversation just like Michael Thomas should be in the MVP conversation. Ohio State will remain the top-ranked team in the country this week. Number two. I have LSU holding at number two. They dust Texas A&M this weekend, a team that really disappointed. Jimbo Fisher came there. They had high expectations. This year, I really thought they were going to be maybe not a great team, an elite team, but I thought they'd be improved, and they haven't done that. Yet, they do have talent on that team, and Kellen Mond is a good quarterback. LSU just dusted them this weekend. So the Tigers have done nothing to hurt their stock, both them and Ohio State, with blowout wins against good opponents. That's why they're going to hold it number one and number two. Number three. In at number three, despite their whole zero wins against teams in the AP Top 25, the Clemson Tigers, they did what they needed to this weekend as they blow out South Carolina. Again, it's not an impressive win. South Carolina's 4-8, and eight, but they did what they needed to. And they're still one of those teams that passes the eye test, which, again, I don't like. I don't love it. I know the committee does factor into that. Clemson will hold at number three when the rankings come out tonight. Number four. And the Tigers will hold at number three because at number four is a team that lost to the team that Clemson just beat this weekend. That would be the Georgia Bulldogs. You look at Georgia's three wins against ranked teams, especially two in the top ten, and you think, wow, maybe, just maybe I could overlook that South Carolina loss when you compare three Ranked wins over zero for Clemson. An undefeated Clemson team against a one-loss Georgia team, albeit that loss was to a 4-8 and team. But Clemson just beating that same team that handed Georgia their only loss, I think that might trump the three wins, the three ranked wins compared to Clemson's none. That being said, Georgia still is going to hold at number four and still have a chance to win their way into the playoff this weekend. Number five. Here's where we start to have a little bit of drama. We have some debate as far as who is going to go where. At number five, really in six and seven, I have three teams that are contending for those three spots. So comparing their resumes, you've got one win against a ranked team between those three. That's the reality. I don't like it. I really don't. But between the three teams I'm considering, which would be Oklahoma, Baylor, and Utah, There is one win against a team in the AP Top 25 this week between those three schools. So at number five, I'm going to go with Oklahoma. They took down Oklahoma State this weekend in Bedlam. Oklahoma State, eight and four. They're not a bad team. It's a good win. To me, if we are going to factor in the eye test, which I hate doing, they pass the eye test, certainly better than Baylor and Utah. But I think you can make a strong case for them well beyond that, based on their resume. They have the only win against a team that's in the rankings this week between those three schools, which, of course, is Baylor, another team in this group of three. Their loss came to a K-State team that fluttered in and out of the rankings this year. It wasn't a great loss, but you look at Baylor's loss. It was to Oklahoma. You can't put Baylor ahead of Oklahoma. And Utah's loss came to USC, who, again, did sneak into the rankings in the mid-20s, something like that, but it came to a third-string quarterback. 
And Oklahoma strength the schedule for me is what puts them at number five. Number six. <laughs> number six, we're going to go with Baylor. Baylor's coming off a blowout win over Kansas, 61-6 to this weekend. I know it's Kansas. You're supposed to do that. And the fact that they don't have any wins against teams in the top 25 in this week's AP poll absolutely does bother me. Yet, I'm not going to put Utah ahead of them because you look at their two losses because neither has a win against a ranked team. You look at each of their losses. Baylor's came to Oklahoma, who has a chance at winning the conference and getting to the college football playoff. Utah's came to a third-string quarterback. I used to think Florida was going to be that team that would underperform this year, that Florida would be one of the biggest letdowns. It's absolutely Utah now. It is Utah. I mean, Utah can't get into the playoff. That's why I'm on the Oregon bandwagon this weekend. Utah doesn't deserve to be in the playoffs. If we're going to hold Georgia's loss to South Carolina against them, why aren't we holding Utah's to a third-string quarterback against them? I don't get it. Number seven. And, of course, we got to put Utah in at number seven, but I just want to say any other team with as weak of a schedule as they play with one loss on their resume, and it came to a third-string quarterback, just shouldn't be in playoff consideration. I mean, you've got Notre Dame, you know, I, obviously I'm a fan, but let me speak to you as a professional. Notre Dame 10-2 and two, with three wins against teams in the AP Top 25 this week. Utah has none. Notre Dame's losses have been to two good teams, Michigan and Georgia. There are a lot of teams that should be ahead of Utah, that are better teams than Utah. Notre Dame, Penn State, Florida, Minnesota, Alabama, Wisconsin, Michigan, all these teams are better than Utah. And yet here they are. Because they can put up 30 points a game against a very weak Pac-12 schedule. Albeit, Utah's obligated to be in at number 7 after beating Colorado this week. I just hope Oregon wins. Utah's not a playoff team. Just, just don't let it happen. Number 8. Here's another group of three. Three teams that I had vying for the 8th, ninth, and 10 spots. And I'll explain why I'm putting... Penn State at number 8, despite the AP poll having them at number 12 as we go along, Penn State is one of those teams that leads the country in great losses. Their losses have come to Ohio State by 11, and Minnesota, who's still going to be a top 15 in my opinion, they're still a top 15, they lost to Minnesota by 4 on the road. They also have two wins against ranked teams. That's more than the team I have at number 9. And those good losses come into play when you consider who I have at number 10. Number 9. Coming in at number 9, I've got the Florida Gators. They blew out Florida State this weekend. It's not a great win, but it's still a rivalry game, so there's a lot of emotion there. Their best win, though, is against a three-loss Auburn team. That's what's holding me back for this squad. I like Kyle Trask. He's energized this team. I wasn't high on this team when they had Felipe Franks. I'm coming around with Kyle Trask and Dan Mullen together. I do believe that Penn State's wins over Michigan and Iowa trump florida's win over auburn that being said they each have two losses and the losses are fairly comparable florida's came to georgia and lsu penn state's came to minnesota and ohio state so does florida have better losses than penn state yeah they do but just by a little bit it's that extra ranked win that is gonna cause me to put penn state in ahead of florida number 10 
And coming in at number 10, I have the Wisconsin Badgers. A dominant performance at Minnesota this weekend. Couple that with the fact that the Badgers have three wins against teams in this week's Top 25 AP poll. And the Badgers get the number 10 spot in my book. Now, they do have three wins against ranked teams. Penn State and Florida were the teams that I was considering with Wisconsin putting at number 8. And Wisconsin, again, with those three ranked wins, Penn State is two, Florida has one. But that Illinois loss is still something that pulls me back, that makes it hard for me to put Wisconsin any higher. Yet at 10-2, and two, I do believe they're a top-10 team especially with their strength of schedule and how many quality wins they have. I think you can still make the case that despite losing to Illinois, they are deservedly a top 10 team. In fact, let me read you this. Here are the teams in this week's rankings, or we presume to be in this week's top 15, with wins over other ranked teams, according to this week's AP Top 25 poll. LSU has three, Ohio State has three, Georgia has three, Wisconsin has three, Notre Dame has three. That's it. LSU, Ohio State, Georgia, Wisconsin, Notre Dame. Those are the only schools with three or more wins against teams in the current AP Top 25 poll. Teams with two wins, Penn State, Auburn. Teams with one, Oklahoma, Florida, Oregon, Minnesota. Teams with none that are going to be in the top 15 tonight, Clemson, Utah, Baylor, Alabama. That's two, maybe three teams that could wind up in the real top 10 tonight that have zero wins over a ranked team. And that's why I don't have Alabama in my top 10. Make a case for me. Someone make me a case why Alabama should be a top 10 team. What have they done this year to warrant being a top 10 team? I don't even think you can make a case for them being a top 15 team. If the eye test is your only basis, it's not a top 15 team. It's not a top 10 team either. Alabama has zero wins against a team better than 7-5. and five. Their best win is against a 7-5 and five team. I don't care who they've played and lost close to. I don't care that they lost to LSU by 5 or that they lost to Auburn by 3. I don't care how close they played them. The results have to matter. Georgia from last year is telling you that. They were one of the top three teams in the country, yet they lost twice. They lost to two really good teams, and they played them well both times. Yet they didn't get into the college football playoff because of those two losses. Didn't matter how close they played them. And they actually had better wins. They actually beat ranked teams last year. Bama has not this season. There is nothing keeping Alabama in the top 10 let alone the top 15, other than name brand at this point, other than brand recognition. You watch, Bama's going to stay in the top 10. They're probably going to be ranked ninth or something tonight. And there's no case for them to be. There's no reason, but you can say that they would have beaten Auburn if Tua Tugavailoa was healthy. But we are basing these rankings on speculation. It's not on projections. you got to rank teams and vote on them Based on performance, not projection, not perspective, performance, results. That's how you do your job if you're on the committee. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, I've got some Northern Michigan audio I want to play for you. We'll talk a little hockey, basketball, all that and more next on ESPN-UP.
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back, Tanner Hoops, with you on ESPN-UP. Glad to have you along. Here's your Sports Center update. The Chicago Blackhawks have placed assistant coach Mark Crawford on leave after allegations surfaced that Crawford physically abused a former player while with the LA Kings. Lionel Messi and Megan Rapino have each won this year's Ballon d'Or. I don't I have no idea if that's a, I'm not a soccer guy. They are the Ballon d'Or recipients. For this year. This is the sixth occasion that Messi has won the award. That's a new record. And finally, in Illinois, it is illegal and punishable by law to own more than $600 worth of salamanders. That would equate to about 75 salamanders per the fair market value. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along. I've got some Northern Michigan audio to play for you. It's Northern Michigan Tuesdays here on the Sports Pen. We're going to start with a little hockey, but before we jump into that, can we just talk about the beatdown last night? I'm talking about the Bucks and the Knicks. A 44-point blowout for Giannis and the Bucks who win their 12th straight, they move to 18-3. They now own the best record in the NBA this season. By the way, it was the first time in franchise history that the Bucks posted back-to-back 40-plus point wins. They beat Charlotte by 41 on Sunday. That's only been done 12 times in NBA history, including last night. Giannis was a monster. He needed only 14 minutes to get a triple-double. DJ Wilson, 19 points. Now, granted, I know they did this against the Knicks, but they've won 12 in a row. It's a franchise's longest winning streak since the early 80s. Reagan was still president the last time the Bucks won 12 in a row. And they beat the Knicks the way you're supposed to beat the Knicks. The Knicks swung and missed. They had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Zion Williamson in their sights. Instead, they get stuck with R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, Wayne Ellington, we know what the Knicks are. We know they're a four and seventeen team. But the Bucks beat them the way you're supposed to beat a four and seventeen team. And this Bucks team, they're my pick to win the East. I like that pick right now. I like the way they're looking right now. This team is fun to watch. Next time the Bucks are on TV, make it a point to watch. This team is fun to watch. I tell you what, let's jump into some hockey with that. Let's talk about Northern Michigan hockey and where they're at. They're coming off a split down at Huntsville over the weekend. Head coach Grant Petoni out recruiting today. So we got Byron Poole, his assistant, associate head coach, to stop by and recap the weekend. You know, obviously a disappointing weekend. And when you go um, into a situation where you feel like you should come away, at least with the opportunity to win a couple games, you know, you, um, you look at games like this throughout the season you hope that it's not one that's going to hurt you in the end uh, I just felt that on Friday night we weren't quite ready to play and you know, we talk a lot about you know whether the team's ranked number one or number 60 you know that everyone's a division one athlete and everyone's competitive and they had been playing some good hockey and they were excited to get home and I thought we started flat um, and it's kind of you know it's been a little bit of a well, maybe it is an issue. A little bit of an issue with this lately is just not being ready to play at the drop of the puck. And we found ourselves behind and just weren't able to get back. But it, on Saturday, I thought the guys responded really well. Um, you know, we probably didn't show up on the score sheet as uh, 
you know, maybe wasn't quite indicative of how well we played. Obviously, with a very tight hockey game, but we had multiple, multiple, multiple chances, and was really happy with the effort and the way the guys played on Saturday. It's no secret that Northern struggles a little bit out of the gate, or they have so far this year, especially Friday nights. They bounce back Saturdays and generally play better. Is there a reason for that? Coach was asked. You know, I think I think if we had an answer for it, <laughs> we could fix it. You know, I think one of the message Grant had on Saturday is, you know, we need to try something different. And obviously, what we've been doing hasn't been working. Um, you know, and whether that's how we're preparing the guys for the week, you know, what we've done for, you know, pregame meetings, video, what they do for their stretch. You know, there's a multiple multiple different things that we've been trying um, to switch switch it up. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, too, I, I do think it comes down to the responsibility of the athlete, whether it be the group or the individual, that to make sure that you know when that puck does drop, that you're just ready to go. So, I thought Saturday night was maybe one of the best uh, best starts we've had all season. Um, you know, right from opening puck drop, um, you know, the guys were competitive, they were dialed in, um, physicality was up, the execution was up. So. Coming from that, you know, hopefully we can take a page from that, and moving forward, we can maybe start, <laughs> maybe start on time a little bit better. So Saturday night, Northern had to play with just two forwards on the fourth line, and it's just because they are simply that banged up. Yeah, no, we're we're banged up um, as everybody is at this time of the year. Um, you know, Andre Gantos didn't make the trip because of the injury. Caleb Shore got hurt on Friday night. You know, so we're down to ten healthy forwards. Um, you know, so we had a couple, couple actually had two defensemen play up front: Michael Van Uden and Mason Palmer. You know, I, we expect to get Andre back hopefully for the Mankato series. You know, I'm not sure we're on or uh, we're Caleb. Sorry, we have Andre. Hopefully, have Andre back for the Mankato series. Not sure where Caleb's status is. You know, and then you know after Christmas we have the two transfers um, that are going to be eligible to play, and that'll give us a little bit more depth. But, you know, definitely is, we're, we're a little thin up there right now as far as numbers are concerned. John Roberts, the third-string goaltender, backed up Nolan Kent on Saturday night. Coach was asked, was there a reason why? What, what went into that? It was just more of a situation to reward John Roberts. Um, you know, John has been an outstanding teammate. Um, you know, he's, you know, I, he was recruited to be that, you know, the third goaltender and, you know, with the opportunity that if, you know, things, you know, with an opportunity to earn some playing time. And he came here with no promises. Um, he's one of the first guys to rink every day. He stays out. He takes extra shots. Um, twice this year when the team's been on the road, he's met the bus to help unpack the bus. You know, so we just thought it was an opportunity, knowing that we were going with Nolan um, with the start, that we'd reward John and, you know, dress him as a backup on Saturday night. When it came to the goaltending situation, Coach was happy with what Nolan Kent brought to the table. I thought he was solid, um, you know, and any time your goaltender only gives up one goal, uh, you, you know, doesn't matter how many shots you give up, you feel really good about it. So um, felt that he, he stopped the ones that he should have, and I think that's, you know, as a team and as a coach, that's kind of what you're asking your goaltender is to stop all the ones he should and hopefully, you know, stop three or four that maybe – he shouldn't have, um, but you know he was very calm, very collected back there. Um, you know he wasn't super busy, which can be difficult for a goaltender too. You know sometimes those games where 
I think he only had eight or nine shots through two periods. Uh, you know, so to be, you know, he had to stay mentally focused, and um, he was he was good back there. He gave us a chance to win. So Northern played Huntsville four times in the month of November. Did they look any different fundamentally? Were they the same team that came up to the Barry Events Center earlier last month? You know, I think once you get to this part of the season, you're tweaking your systems a little bit. You know, it's they are a little bit of a young group, so I. You know they have been making steps, uh, even though it doesn't show. You know, does does show in the standings. Um, you know, every group gets better from day one throughout the season, and they're well coached. And they're, you know, I got to give them credit. Um, a lot of teams in their situation with the record that they have maybe wouldn't have had as positive an attitude going in. But Mike Corbett and his staff do a great job and have them prepared to play. You know, and it was um, you know, but fundamentally they're basically the same team that we saw here. You know, three, four weeks ago. So now it's Northern's bye week, and with all the injuries they've been plagued with, could it have come at a more perfect time? It is. Uh, it's coming at a good time, obviously, with the injuries. And you know, we have some other guys who are nicked up a little bit. And um, With finals right around the corner, too, I think it gives our guys a chance to you know, hopefully get ahead with their academics. Um, with Mankato coming in, obviously a big series, the number one team in the country coming in, for the last home weekend, you know, it'll give us a chance to maybe rest a few guys. You know, there's been some guys who have played an extreme amount of minutes, um, and maybe rest not isn't even the right word. Just maybe even refresh. You know, we have been going at it since September, so it's been three hard months. You know, the trip coming back wasn't easy <laughs> with all the with all the snow. It was tough getting out and tough getting back. So it's coming at a really good time where we can kind of regroup. You know, refocus and hopefully end the first half off on a really good note. So Northern snapped that four-game losing streak Saturday night. They get back on the right track with a win over Huntsville. Did they feel a bit of relief now that they're back? I don't even know if relief's the right word, but you're right. You know, when you do go through a stretch where things aren't going your way, and you know, obviously with the start we had too, you know, things are rolling pretty smoothly. So it was kind of our first first test of adversity and. Um, you know, yet I, I don't want to say it's doubt, um, but I do think there's in the back of the mind as the players because it was a very close hockey game too. To, even though we outchanced them, you know, we didn't outscore them by a large margin. So it was tight rate to the final, and I think hopefully, um, you know, you kind of have to hit a point in the season where you know you have to make a stand as an athlete as a team as a coach whatever it is that you're going to get this thing going back in the right direction and I thought that was a big step for us on Saturday um, obviously the mood after Friday night's game wasn't very good and to see them bounce back and have a great effort and come out with a good win you know hopefully that'll just catapult us into a very good weekend against Bankato and um, you know, everybody likes to win, right? It makes you feel good. So, you know, the r- mood around the locker room, uh, around the airport on Saturday and Sunday was obviously a lot better than it has been the last couple weeks. Northern Michigan Hockey Associate Head Coach Byron Poole, again, Grant Patoni out today. He's out recruiting, getting the next batch of Wildcats. Let's take another time out. When we come back, we'll finish off the day with some Northern Michigan basketball audio next on ESPN-UP. 
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Whatever you might have missed from today's show is available on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple iStore, Google Play, or look up ESPNUP.com and check out the on-demand there. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're with us as we wind down this Tuesday afternoon. Big night of basketball this evening, especially for a lot of our listeners. Michigan, Michigan. Michigan State doubleheader Big Ten ACC Challenge starts with Michigan 7.30 tip against Louisville. Dickie V is going to be on the call for that one here on ESPN-TV, followed by Duke and Michigan State. It's going to be a fun night of basketball, especially for fans in Michigan. You've got Jawan Howard, who's still unbeaten in his coaching career, going up against the top-ranked team in the country. We could very well see the top-ranked team in America go down for the fourth time this season, and it's December 3rd, because number one Louisville matches up with the Giant Killer, and that would be Jawan Howard's Michigan Wolverines. couple of top ten wins this past week. Can they get a third knockoff the number one overall team? Find out tonight. Both games again. Michigan, then Sparty, doubleheader on ESPN TV. Big Ten ACC Challenge is tied after one night. Well, let's keep on going with our Northern Michigan audio. Let's turn it over to basketball. Had a chance to talk with Troy Matson, women's basketball coach. His team went down to Springfield, Missouri over the holiday break. Played a couple of games at Drury against the host team, Drury College, the number one ranked team in the country, who ended Northern season down there last year in the NCAA tournament. Coach, recap the weekend. We made it home safe. That's pretty much what happened. Um... It was a grueling trip. It wasn't easy. We had major delays, uh, missed flights, busing. Uh, weren't didn't play well the first night. We were like a step or two behind on everything we were trying to do. And but I do give the girls credit against Drury. Uh, without Lexi or Liz playing, uh, we played hard, and that was the first step that we needed to do. Because we weren't able to play hard the first night, we played really hard the second night, and uh, we'll take we'll get away with that. Uh, that's what we got out of the trip. Um, we got a long way to go. Um, we got some things that we got to figure out here in the next couple of days. And uh, as I look at it, we're 0 and 0, starting conference play, so it's a fresh start. It's like three seasons all the time. You got your non-conference season. You got your regular season in conference, and then you get your playoffs if you're good enough to get in. So uh, we're like in the second phase, and I played a very demanding, very tough non-conference schedule uh, to prepare ourselves for the GLIAC, and uh, hopefully uh, we learned a lot in these last eight games. It was a shorthanded Northern group. That gave the opportunity for some other players to step up, play bigger minutes, take on bigger roles. One which really stood out to coach was Aaron Hankala. Aaron Hankala has had about seven or eight really good games. She really has stepped up, uh, mostly with her attitude, uh, how she approaches everything. Um, She's competing extremely hard, rebounding everything, um, scoring points for us, uh, has played extremely well. I'm really happy for her. Uh, She's kind of leading the way for us right now, and uh, we need more, more people to play at the level she's playing at. So now it's time for conference play. Northern was home briefly a couple of weeks ago. They'll be home on Thursday night taking on Northwood. Coach, preview that matchup. They're going to be tough. They're going to be physical with us. Um, 
they have a couple Division One transfers that are helping them. Um, they're healthier than they were. Um, they weren't healthy either for about six or seven games, but they got everybody back that they're supposed to have back now. And uh, but they play some young people too. And they're learning. They're kind of in the same situation that we are. And uh, so we need to come out and protect our home court. We need to play well, like we did last weekend here. And uh, hopefully uh, things will go well for us. The Gleyak's going to be tough as ever. We all know that. Coach gave us his thoughts on the conference as a whole. It's going to be tough, yeah, for sure. It always is. Um, but I think there's two teams that are just head and shoulders above everybody else, and that's Grand Valley and Ashland. Uh, I think one's ranked number three right now in the country and one's ranked number five in the country. Uh, they're just head and shoulders above everybody else. They return everybody back from teams that were you know, in the top ten last year. And uh, then I think it's uh, pretty much up for grabs, you know, as to who wants to emerge here in the next 20 games. Uh, Ferris State is playing really well right now. Uh, they beat uh, Lewis uh, yesterday or Sunday at Ferris and beat them well. Um, so Ferris is playing really well. But it's the same people that they had last year. You know, we beat them three times last year, but uh, we're different. We're a lot different than we were a year ago at the present time. Northern Michigan women's basketball head coach Troy Matson, his team getting set to open up the GLIAC schedule this week against Northwood. Let's turn over to the men's side with head coach Matt Mackerzak. His team was in Alaska this past week. They spent the Thanksgiving holiday up in the Great North, and they played a couple of games against Fairbanks and Anchorage. Came away with a split. Coach, recap the weekend. It's kind of been all season with the ups and downs of one good game and one bad game. Um, the nice part was this bad game was better. We battled back. Um, the Anchorage is really good, and uh, they hit 10 threes in the first half. Uh, I don't think we'll ever be able to be ahead at halftime when a team hits 10 threes, and, and I think the message at halftime was we needed to play better to keep it more manageable. We weren't going to be winning with how well they played. Uh, but we needed to keep it a little bit closer. And then obviously after the game, I think that showed where if we could have maybe hung in there a little bit better and survived that kind of barrage of threes a little bit better, we probably would have been able to pull it off in the second half. But I was probably bounced back. That's a really good Anchorage team. And um, I thought we played uh, maybe our best half, the second half against Anchorage of the whole year. So game one was a blowout of Alaska Fairbanks. Coach was asked, did you field test it against the Nanooks, or were you just doing everything right? What was working that night? We played really, really well. Obviously, they're not as strong of a team as some of the other teams we played, but they were beating Tech for 33 or 34 minutes the following night. And so for us to be able to win by 50, um, play a lot of guys, it wasn't like we had our starters in there most of the second half. Um, that was all really good stuff, and I think we – we did it in, in the right way. Um, we weren't doing anything out of character to kind of extend the lead. We just played really solid and really well. And um, I thought maybe coming off of the rest, we, we seemed to have a little more energy of just trying to kind of do all the stuff we'd been preaching in practice for two weeks. So that was good to see. Game two, of course, the furious comeback that fell short to the Seawolves, but it was more than basketball. That week was a bonding experience for the team. Coach was asked, did he feel like this was a weekend that brought the team closer together? Yeah, yeah, it was a great trip for that. I mean, we, we did a lot of fun stuff. Um, we had a lot of fun with the guys. It was definitely the most long extended period of time that I've been able to spend with a lot of them, which was kind of fun on a personal level, on top of a team level of getting to really just hang out in different ways. I think the players have hung out a bunch too.
together, especially the older guys. But I think it was really good for some of the freshmen to get that kind of long period of time with all the other players. And I actually think it was really good for our, our staff to get to really maybe be around these guys in a different way than necessarily on the floor or in study tables or all the stuff we're kind of used to. So um, I definitely saw a little bit more personality out of guys that I hadn't seen before. So in a lot of ways, that was a lot of fun for me. If you listened to the show a couple of weeks ago, Coach was asked, are you worried about setting your internal clock? Because they had to play one game at 11.30 at night Marquette time. That was tip-off time, but they were playing in Alaska, so it was like 6.30 or something there. Coach addressed as to whether he felt like that was an issue in Alaska. Yeah, I think the kids seem to like, they just look at their phones and it says 11 o'clock. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go to bed now. So they seem to be fine. Um, I think we were energy-wise, I think we were pretty ready both nights. Um, I, I didn't feel like that that bothered us that much. And it seems like we're adjusting this week back, which is, to be honest, what I was maybe more concerned about heading into conference play was being able to kind of reset the clock to to Marquette time. I, I, again, I think the kids handle that stuff maybe better than we do just because they, they just kind of roll with punches pretty well when it comes to that kind of stuff. So conference play starts for the Northern men this week as well. They've got Northwood, then Saginaw Valley State coming up this weekend. Coach gave us his thoughts on those matchups. Both teams we play are good. Um, Northwood's, I think, 4-2 and two and Saginaw's 3-3. Three and three, So um, it's not like uh, we, we got a pretty tough slate to start. Um, Northwood is very athletic. They have two guards that um, were returners and really good last year and are starting the year off really hot. So, um, yeah, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to play kind of our best, and um, it's gonna be interesting to see how we react to not having the back to back and being at home and some of those types of things. Um, I'm just hoping for a ton of energy, ton of excitement, um, and I think if we do that, hopefully the results take care of themselves. I mentioned the women briefly were at home the last week or so. The men finally will get to play a game in front of their home crowd. Coach was happy about it. Yeah, yeah, it's been, uh, I, I knew it was going to be a long kind of preseason when you see the schedule and, you know, six six games on the road and um, some tough trips travel-wise. And um, it's definitely nice to not have to be planning out leaving and eating and all that kind of stuff and be able to sleep in our own beds and um, play in front of a home crowd for the first time so yeah it's definitely a, a nice change and um, at the same time I think that long road stretch kind of prepared us in a way that maybe if we would have you know played some a lot of the teams in our league have played D3 schools and NAI schools and we've been able to go play all division two schools and in tough circumstances and hopefully that schedule has prepared us for the conference season. That's Matt Mackerzak, Northern Michigan men's head basketball coach, as his team gets set to open up GLIAC play and their home schedule this week. Thursday against Northwood, they will be tipping off. That's it for us as we hit the 5 o'clock hour. Once again, I appreciate you tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central, and it's my hope that you join me. Until then. Enjoy your Tuesday night. Enjoy some hoops if that's what you're into. I'm Tanner Hoops for ESPN, UPWZM, Ishpeming Marquette.